0: hello and welcome to the pre-med years where we believe that collaboration not competition is key to your success i'm your host dr ryan gray and in this podcast we share with you stories encouragement and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician a welcome to the pre-med years thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. Now as this episode is coming out, we are about a week and a half after the brutal killing of George Floyd. Now some of you listening may not want to hear this topic on this podcast, but it's necessary. Number 1, it's necessary as a society to be able to understand what is happening to our black brothers and sisters in this country. But number 2, as future physicians, we have to understand our own bias that is out there that potentially hurts our future patients who may not look like us, who may not come from the same background as us. And so this conversation that I have today wasn't actually scheduled to be a conversation about George Floyd and about race and how we can move forward from here. But it was about this student's journey through the medical school application process and some of the racism that she encountered in the interview trail. And that was why I initially reached out to Alexis to bring her on the podcast. But with George Floyd, we ended up talking a lot about race in this country and how to move forward. Number one, for our future classmates who are people of color, our future classmates who may have a different sexual orientation than yourself. How do we support them through the journey where they have been held back Because of systemic racism or systemic prejudice against them. How can we help them as classmates? And then, number two, how do we help ourselves to understand what is going on in this country to be able to help ourselves, help our future children, help our future patients, help our future colleagues, and help society as a whole? So that's where this conversation goes. I hope you listen. I hope you understand. Number one, we need to always, always, always come from a place of understanding first. And as Alexis talks about, go read. There's plenty of information out there. She said this has been happening for 400 plus years in this country. Go learn and figure out where you can start adding to the conversation. So let's go ahead and say hello to Alexis. Alexis, welcome to the pre-med years. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: When did you first realize you wanted to be a physician?
1: I think it was always just kind of this thought um, very early on in my childhood. My most of my family is in healthcare, specifically nurses, um, and so I feel like it was always this dream, but I never really thought I could actually
0: become one. Why not?
1: I just feel like so I grew up in um, San Fernando Valley for people who aren't familiar. That is L.A. County. Um, uh, It was predominantly white. And, uh, you know, I just had gone through a lot of things growing up. I was called the M word. I've been spit on. So I just feel like I was very demoralized very early on. I knew that I was capable. I knew I was smart, but I always felt like I was 10 steps behind because my environment made me feel that way.
0: Yeah. A very common thing that I hear a lot from minority students who are on their way to medicine is is that they usually are tracking along a little bit later than everyone else because they they doubted like yourself they doubted that they could do this because they didn't see anybody like them doing it. Right. And so it sounds like you're in a very similar situation where your family is nurses, not physicians. You're in a predominantly white area where there's probably not a lot of minority physicians. And so you're like, I guess I can't do that, even though it's maybe something I want to do.
1: Yeah. The, the, actually the first time I had ever seen a physician that looked like me, I believe I was it was a year before I was graduating UCLA. And the only reason why I actually met these Black women physicians was because I had joined an organization that was for Black women physicians. So I had never actually just seen someone because of happenstance or in my environment just like existing. It's because I actually had to go seek out an organization for a woman that looked like me.
0: When When was it when you first finally realized like, you know what? I I don't care if I don't see anyone like me. I don't care if uh, I, I'm maybe being held back by my environment. This is what I want to do. When did you realize that?
1: So actually, um, I was being this guy who's actually, who's a black male. He was also going to, he's on the same path as I was. And he, I think he just, he, you know, he goes through the same experiences I went through. And I felt like, I felt like while I don't blame black students for the environmental factors that are at play, I feel like I had to remember that I could do this. And I think that he was like one of those people that told me I can do this. And so I feel like at that point, I had to really just disconnect with like a lot of friends, family, just my environment and kind of live in isolation for the next three to four years, just so that I was in the right mindset. I didn't want to encounter anyone who would potentially throw me off my game again. And again, that being said, I shouldn't really have to do all those things to want to become a physician. It shouldn't be that way that I have to live in isolation because I'm so afraid of just all these negative opinions and thoughts that come with being Black in medicine.
0: Yeah, and it, it's it's interesting. So uh, obviously being a minority in medicine and having those thoughts, whether they come from uh, other minorities or from uh, the the normal, quote, quote unquote, like white establishment, trying to let you know you can't do this. Uh, but it seems like the majority of pre-meds, whether they're white, black, Hispanic, are are getting the negative vibes from physicians saying, why would you ever want to become a physician like minority or Mm. not? It's, it seems like even that sentiment is out there that you have to overcome. Did you, did you hear that sentiment at all too?
1: I think, I think, you know, specifically at UCLA, the pre-med culture is just so toxic that I think that I can relate with my peers on that. I can relate with, that no one really just felt like they could do this. No one really felt supported or necessarily acknowledged or empowered. I think the difference is, you know, I'm trying to join study groups with other minorities, with other white students, and people aren't including me. Mm. I clearly am performing well in certain classes, and people still think they have this certain connotation about my intellect, and what I can contribute because of the color of my skin. And so I feel like I can empathize on one level that, you know, the culture that we had at UCLA probably wasn't the best for any of us. But still, when we start to unpack those layers, I feel like Black students are continually left out because even within that community where we all feel, I guess, disempowered, the other students aren't including us and they're not, they're not really helping us, you know, along the way
0: yeah how do we improve that
1: hmm. that's a question i've actually been asking myself just in general lately with um all of the protests going on i think that oh, man so i think one because the journey to become a physician is so taxing. I think what happens is it really does bring out the worst in the people. And I think that it brings out this, it's only you or me, like you're my competition. And I think that the double AMC, they're starting to make subtle changes, like making step one pass or fail. But I think that there's this huge disconnect with just the undergrad pre med culture. I think that we need to start addressing things that are more relevant in our um, undergraduate curriculum. So let me take a step back. I have friends who who were in the engineering department and. That department, I would say, was way more collaborative than the pre-med department. And I really asked my friend, like, why is it that you guys help each other out more? And I think it was because of the way that they grade students, the way that they administer exams. You know, it's a lot of project-based learning. And I think that if we're going to work in teams, and if a lot of these students in the pre-med culture are going to go on and be healthcare providers, we need to really evaluate how we're testing individuals, how we are bringing... Um, pre-med education in the undergraduate setting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's not even, it's not even a, from your answer, it's not just a white versus black versus other minority kind of challenge. It's, it's from the get-go, it's just a competition challenge of, of me versus you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. it's definitely uh, a challenge that I, I hear over and over and over again. And obviously, um, the, the motto of this podcast specifically is collaboration, not competition. And, and I, mm. I firmly believe that there are enough seats in medical school for those who deserve it, right? Those who have proven academically and with their MCAT score and activities that this is the path that they want to go on. And, and so that they don't need to look at their classmates as competition.
1: Right. I think, though, it's also interesting right now that when we compare, so my metrics aren't great. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing is, I always knew my metrics weren't going to be great because I wasn't really so concerned about my pre-med education because I knew I was going to get that in medical school. What I didn't know was if I was going to understand the communities that I want to serve and I want to impact and improve. And I think that we really need to actually ask ourselves, what do we value um, when we're selecting people to join medical school cohorts? Because, you know, academic metrics are farly, they disproportionately have more weight than these mission-based contributions. But then, yeah, everyone's talking about that they want diverse students. They want the next leaders of America. They want people who will learn how to advocate for patients. But you're continually, I guess, disregarding the impact that mission-based contributions make and how time-consuming those contributions are.
0: Yeah yeah, it's it's definitely a balance, right? You have to you have to have students who are going to be able to get through medical school or the rigors of medical school. and many, yeah. many schools are moving to pass fail. and so, that makes it a little bit easier, but then you have step one out there and step two, uh, CK at least that's still scored. Uh, step one being pass fail, which is great, um, and and medical schools are are judged and uh, credentialed and, and given accreditation based on making sure the students are passing and getting through in four years and all that fun stuff. So, and it's right with with. Eight thousand or so applications per medical school. About then they they need a way to get through all those applications. It's just the easiest yeah. thing is is using those grades. But I, right. I think hopefully with holistic admissions, we we have gotten to a place where it's a little bit better to look at non academic things. Um, once you meet a certain qualification of academics, but. Right. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely finding a balance and figuring all that out. I, I think it's, it's much improved based on like compared to probably 30 or 40 years ago when all they cared about yeah. were scores um, yeah. and they didn't really care about your, your ability to communicate in bedside manner and all that stuff. And we, we have some of those physicians out in the workforce now uh, right. that, that aren't very good either. So it's all, it's all the challenge. So, y- you go to UCLA for undergrad, and uh, UCLA, if, if anyone knows, is a huge undergraduate institution. They are usually the f- number one school, undergraduate school in the country, pushing out applicants to medical schools. So, it's a huge pre-med community there at, at UCLA. What was the the hardest thing about being a pre-med student at such a huge university?
1: Cool. So I had always been black my whole life in a predominantly white institution. I, I,
0: I'm glad you continued that or, sentence. I'm like, wait a minute. You yeah. weren't black before?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's it really hits you differently when you're the only black student in a class of 500. I just, no one could prepare me for that. And, you know, most of my friends actually grew up around people that look like them. I was one of the few who actually grew up in the suburbs um, in a more, I guess, diverse um, majority environment. And I just think you really feel like you're a number. You don't feel connected to your faculty and staff. Um, I mean, I had, I had friends who, you know, within two quarters were kicked out of their major. And I just feel like, the school has great resources. The school has great opportunities. Great faculty. Um, it's a powerhouse. Yeah, but I just feel like there's a huge disconnect. That there's something really, 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 really wrong with the culture. That I have yet to see any proper modifications being made to it. Um, it's just I felt I felt for for quite a while. I felt like I was betraying my community by moving along in my classes. Um, there's a huge cognitive dissonance because when 90% of the Black students are failing out of their majors and I'm the only one left, that's not a reality I ever want to live in. I don't, f- don't feel necessarily blessed to be the one that made it. And then the other 90 or 100 students that look like me did not And um, that's not something like I'm proud about because ultimately, I think we want to create a pipeline for students of every ethnicity and race of, you know, sexual orientation, gender, um, immigration status to really feel like they can move along and they can, their communities moving along with them. And I think that was the hardest part. I think also, um, we have a lot of resources and I think even with the MCAT and as we move along, along, just because there's a lot of resources out there doesn't mean we're trained use them and which ones are like the best ones for you. And so there could be like resource overload. I felt like that was definitely a thing at UCLA where there was actually like a lot of resources, but I didn't actually know which ones I need to use to help me be the best student I could be.
0: When it c- comes to being like the, the only student who looked like you to continue moving forward, is that a failure of the system getting students to college and, and having them be prepared for college, or is that a failure of the system once students are in college?
1: Ooh, I would say both. So I remember sitting in my life science three class, that's genetics. So um, about the third biology class you would take at UCLA. And hmm. the professor asked on the first day, who's extracted DNA? And you look around and there's so many students who before college had extracted DNA. I don't even know necessarily at the time if I knew. I knew what DNA was on a very surface level way, but not, you know, when you get into like the microscopic level and the science behind it, not necessarily. And so when we're talking about who's being exposed to scientific knowledge early on, I really do think not only does that have a role and impact on your level of understanding and how quickly you're going to digest information also has a huge impact on the level of confidence you're going to have in engaging new knowledge. Um, on the other end of that, I think that UCLA did not do a good job of advising students. Um, I was a, so I was a a peer learning facilitator. It's essentially between a tutor and a TA Mm -hmm. and, um, for the largest diverse resource for students of color, low income, LGBTQ students in the nation. And oftentimes I would hear these horror stories of those freshman advisors who help you choose your classes, like before you start college. And these horror stories, like them telling these students that come from these different environments, oh, take chem, take math and take like a hard English. And I would actually there came a point where I actually had to walk to where these meetings were taking place in our dormitories and tell Black students, don't take back. Don't listen to your advisor. They're wrong. They don't know where you come from. And they actually do not have the proper training nor credentials to advise you. Because the thing is, if I didn't go do that, if other students that looked like me and other people who are committed to this cause didn't go tell these students to unenroll it and just take one math or maybe just take one chem and see the level of understanding you have, the level of confidence you have. That's how we already have students by the end of their first year failing out of their, their major and changing their major and ultimately saying, I don't want to be a physician anymore. Yeah. Some of which who graduate and then have to go and do these 50,000 postbacks because deep down inside, they knew this is their calling. This is something they always wanted to do. And so I, I really get... It's really hard seeing people blame people for certain things when they actually don't know what certain students are experiencing. If you never had AP courses at your your high school, why are you taking two to three science classes your first quarter at UCLA? One of the hardest institutions <laughs> in the nation. Yeah. There's just no reason.
0: Yeah. Knowing what you that. know now, having gone through that process, what would you tell a student, maybe maybe a high school student listening to this or community college transfer looking to transfer to a four-year university? What, what questions would you have someone ask to make sure that they're going to an environment that's going to support them?
1: Ooh, that's hard. Um, I mean, first, before you're choosing an institution, statistics matter. <laughs> Statistics matter um, and ask them how many students that look like me are graduating in these majors. How many faculty members um, from from underrepresented minority backgrounds are, you know, tenure track Mm -hmm. and are at the institution? Because honestly speaking, those are the faculty members who are holding the few underrepresented minorities along the way. There, of course, I've had white faculty members and Asian and Latinx and, you know, all of those have contributed to my medical education. But when I really felt like I need to quit, it was the black faculty that I was bringing to. Yeah. Um. And there wasn't really any at the time who were in the sciences. So I was running to people who were in education. They were telling me, Alexis, keep going. You have no choice. You're <laughs> going to make it for all of us. And um. But you really do want a faculty member who understands your experience because they're kind of, they'll help you navigate. I think also you need to ask them what resources they already have in place. Um, because it's one thing to matriculate. It's a whole nother thing to, you know, increase retention and increase graduation rates. A lot of these students or a lot of these institutions have, you know, maybe a higher matriculation rate. But then you have to look at their graduation rates because it doesn't tell the whole story when you only look at incoming students of color and incoming students from disadvantaged
0: backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, definitely important. So as you were going through your journey, getting support, wanting to quit here and there, but but running to the faculty members for help and, and motivation and, and continued support, when it came to really just getting through this whole process, what do you think made you the most successful?
1: Um I would honestly say it was my my connection with God and my culture. Um because I think that so the the other thing about, you know, um it's not just cuz I'm black. There is a lot of trauma that I was going through that you know, I talked about on my interview trail, a lot of things that I had issues with. You know, I am a sexual abuse survivor. Um, and, you know, a lot of my friends were going through similar encounters. And so I never took time off in my, my undergraduate um, education. There's no gaps. I was in summer school. I had two or three jobs. I was in two labs. And so I think for me, there was just so much going on and it felt very dark that I feel like my faith and my culture is really the backbone to my success because I couldn't look to the world to really help me get through this. Um, And then like also just my community because those are the people who are going to constantly remind you of who you actually are. Yeah.
0: Did you ever want to quit?
1: Uh... I I never, ever said I want to be anything else. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I never, I never, I, I always felt like it, but I never, I never, I never felt like I wanted to be anything else than a doctor, honestly. Um, so the pressure was there, the temptation was there, but I just knew deep down inside, I'm going to make it. And um, I'm glad I held on to that belief.
0: When it came to the application process, where did you find the the encouragement and motivation and guidance to, to put together a solid application?
1: So I actually um did a pre medical enrichment program at uh, DGSOM, which is essentially UCLA's medical school. Mm-hmm. And it was uh it was a program for uh Students that come from disadvantaged backgrounds, and it it gives them, you know, different levels of mentorship, and um, I think that was the key, the key um, driver in my successful primary application.
0: What do you think it was in your application that that really helped?
1: I think that I think one, I wasn't a cookie cutter um, medical student. Mm-hmm. I think. um, I didn't try and fit this narrative of like checking things off of a box. So I think I was actually very authentic. And I told myself that, look, this is really hard. You're going through a lot of things in life that you really should take some time off. But if I'm going to keep pushing on, I'm going to do things my own way, even if people are telling me to do other things. And so I was really big on social justice. I was really big on service. And most of my application was that. and. Most of my application was improving communities that look like me, improving communities are often unheard and silenced because of the systems of of oppression that are in place. And I think that set me, I would say, I think that set me apart from other medical students or other medical school applicants who might just be checking things off of a box because they feel like they have to. That being said, because I'm a firm advocate. (sighs) is I still fulfilled all of the requirements. I yeah. still had research. I had three research requirement or three wow. research um experiences. Wow. And um I had two clinical shadowing opportunities. Um I had a 3.5 GPA after my post back and I had a 75th percentile MCAT. So um I also know people who don't have all those things and still gone to medical schools. Medical schools that are ranked higher than mine. Um, But I like to tell people, especially people that look like me, that if you can, to try and be the most competitive applicant that you can. And it's very important not only to get into medical school, but to acquire funding and scholarships from these schools after you're in.
0: Yeah yeah I want to definitely talk about scholarships and and maybe hear about some tactics that you learned or utilized for yourself. but for for right now, right? We're going through a time, right? I, I thought most of our conversations were going to be around Covid and pandemic, but now we're dealing with riots and protests and and really just the unjust world that that many people in this country are living in after the death of George Floyd. For the The white classmates in the future that you're going to be with, for the white pre-med student listening to this, who maybe comes from an area where there's not a lot of minorities, or maybe comes from a background where they just don't understand a lot of the oppression and and just injustice there is, what can they do right now to start understanding and and being an ally for, for minority students?
1: So the best way would be to educate yourself, and I would I would say the primary way would be, of course, books, lectures, you know, listen to black academics, listen to black activists, black organizers, um, people who are leaders in their field. If you want to take the lazier route, go on Twitter. There is so much information on social media i would specifically say twitter and not the other social media platform Mm -hmm. because there's actually a large academic presence on twitter and so these just aren't you know black people who are only talking about their experience but they're also um black people who study you know what it means to be black what it means to disproportionately be affected by police brutality, what it means to disproportionately be affected by the healthcare system. And um, on a classmate level, on a future classmate level, I expect you to show up because one day you're going to care for someone that looks like me. And the level of care you provide can either improve or continually contribute to the disparities that we're already seeing. And so it's not about whether or not I should be political or not. First off, who gets health care and who doesn't? And the quality of health care is all p- political. So I really hate that. I don't I want to be neutral. This is not the time to be neutral. This is the time to show your black classmates that you are going to do what you can as as someone who has been privileged and has been able to move throughout society without fear because of the, sc- the the color of your skin, that you're showing up for them, that you're going to start the conversation. But before you start those conversations, make sure that you've educated yourself, that you are amplifying black and brown and native voices and not just your own opinion.
0: Now, I think I think one of the places where a lot of students fear starting that conversation is because we potentially those who do come from privileged backgrounds who don't fear uh, being pulled over or anything because of the color of our skin we we fear saying something wrong right and and asking the wrong question or saying the wrong thing if if we open up a dialogue and 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 just ask what. What can I do? What can I say? Um, can Can you teach me? Can you help me understand what it is to to live a day in the life of you? Is Is that a good place to start? Is just from understanding?
1: I would say no. Uh, not to be divisive, and mm-hmm. I'm going to elaborate on why I say no. Um, it's again going back to the beginning of our conversation. There's already this huge burden that you know, underrepresented minority students, specifically Black ones, already have. Mm -hmm. And so you can really be doing this. um, You can really contribute to the trauma that they're experiencing by asking them such questions without even knowing it. And I know that um, people come from a good place and a good heart, but you want to make sure that when you're starting these conversations, that they're going to happen in the most effective and positive way possible. So I feel like, there's not really a need to ask a black person to educate you on it because there's so much information out there. I mean this has been an issue for 400 years. Yeah. So that means there's been people who have been talking about it, writing about it, publishing on it for 400 years. I don't think it's the best thing to ask your black classmate or your black friend to educate you on, on what's already readily available. What I will say, it's important for you to check on uh, check in with them remind them that you support them in this, that you are wishing well on them and love and peace. And to really avoid asking them, how are they? Because let's be honest, no one's okay. Even if you're not black, I don't think you should be okay right now. There's so much going on. I think it's just good to remind them that you're there, that if they want to talk, that you're there and that that you see them, that you see their color, that you recognize the privilege that you have in these discussions. And that at any time they say something that may offend them or may traumatize them, that if they could correct you on that. And I think by, t- when my, there, I have certain friends who will text me, what's my opinion? Like someone texts me, what's my opinion on looting? And then my, my response back is, well, what's your opinion on a, a cop killing a, a black male or a black female or a black, um, individual who's LGBTQ plus. Mm. And so it's, it's not really, what's my opinion. It's let's, let's make sure we're prioritizing what, what's really the focus of all of what's going on and also remind them that they can correct you because oftentimes I, I'm not afraid. It, it's just, a, it's, it's, it's kind of scary not knowing how someone's going to receive your correction. And so by you saying that you're open to that, I feel like that is what gives room for Black students to engage with you because they already feel safe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, thank you for that insight. That's good. And it's, it, I, we should have said it at the beginning, right? You, you are one person. You don't speak for every Black person out there in the world, but the, these are right. your opinions and, and very, right. uh, very common things that I've heard before. So thank you right. for sharing your, your insights there. I want to talk, the, the reason I reached out to you in the first place was I saw you on Twitter talking about your experiences as uh, an African-American woman going on your interview trail and some of the negative things that, that happened to you because of your minority Ooh. status, right? And, and what Ooh. can we teach students who are coming up behind you uh who are minorities what can we teach them on, on how to handle these situations uh, number one to understand that they're probably going to happen whether uh, uh on purpose or just ignorance or whatever it is but but really understanding that that negative things may happen to them on the interview trail because of the color of their skin or their background uh, and then number two how to handle the situations mm.
1: That's a good question. I think it's one that I'm actually at this stage in my career, unprepared, uninformed on how to answer. Um, I think, you know, we're, well, we're not a year out. My application cycle's over. I've committed. Um, And I can't tell you on what to do. You know, I had a lot of class or black classmates tell me I should have reported Well, you know, really at the time, I didn't have any acceptances. I didn't have any leverage. I had forked over so much money. So I was really afraid that, you know, I have sacrificed, my family has sacrificed way too much, and I'm not going to be punished for someone else's actions. But, you know, I also have people who have went and reported to the school, to WMC. But I think that would be unwise of me to say that there could be implications for that. There could not. I don't know. I, I didn't report. I know people who reported. Um, what can we do? I actually don't know. And that's something I want to explore. Um, and I hope to potentially join admissions and bring up like my experience in the future. But um, when this is happening, um, you can just play this podcast back. And no, you're not alone, that I hear you and I see you, um, and that I hope that you really end up at a school who respects you, that respects your voice, that respects the changes you're going to bring to that institution. And that's really all I can tell to tell you right now, because I don't really speak on things that I don't have action behind.
0: Yeah. What are some of the experiences that you had on the interview trail?
1: I think some of them were just so alarming. Um, I had, I had a white woman comment on my skin color in my hair. Um, this was in California. So this is supposed to be a progressive state. And this is a school that is widely known across the nation. And um,
0: as like, a, just, oh my God, the color of your skin is beautiful. And your hair is amazing. Like, she thought it was a compliment, she, but it just came off wrong. It, what, what What do you mean by that? She
1: definitely thought she it was a compliment, but ultimately, what she was saying she was she was revealing how she sees black people. Mm. And the thing is, I'm actually, you know, I am, I'm first generation Nigerian American, and I feel like they this happens a lot with uh we call it continental continental African-Americans, uh, people who are 1st are or emigrate, emigrated from the continent of Africa. And what she was doing, I feel like she was trying to distance this specific community from the Black community. And we don't appreciate that because at the end of the day, I'm Black before yeah. I'm Nigerian-American. When you look at me, you can't necessarily tell that I'm from Nigeria. You would have to have some type of cue. Yeah. And I felt like it was really just disrespectful because uh, in that statement when she was commenting on my my hair was straight at the time um and she commented on the way i spoke and
0: (laughs) that's that's always the classic one right like oh you speak so well Be like are you saying that mm, the majority of black people don't
1: americans don't right and exactly i'm like and so i i just know that there's issues within the black community and i don't appreciate people separating me from my community and i just don't tolerate that type of narrative Um, and i like vehemently reject it at the end of the day i'm black whether my hair is straight whether you think i talk well or i don't talk well so that was pretty bad Uh, another one that really annoyed me was this constant narrative of that i should go into primary care because i am you know a social justice warrior why can't I be a social justice warrior and be a cardiothoracic surgeon? Because that's one of the specialties I'm looking at, yep. you know? Yeah, And I don't like this, this um, disconnection this between these tertiary and surgical specialties that, you know, activism isn't important. You know, pac- patient advocacy is important. There's disparities in just about every single s- Specialty in terms of race and ethnicity, and so I didn't like this narrative because I felt like you were telling me what I could achieve in medical school before I even got there.
0: Yeah, um, or or that because you wanted to help people who looked like you, you would do best in primary care because of that. Yeah, and so you should—that's yeah. where you should be.
1: Right, and so um, I just I just feel like we don't we don't need your opinions on what specialty we're going to go into without you even without you asking what I want to pursue, you just assumed I didn't write in any of my secondaries, what I actually want to pursue. I just wrote my interests and my background, like, as in like, you know, I'm really interested in serving the community. I'm really interested in improving, you know, the human rights for all people, not just a certain select. And, and then that's what you deduce from that. I, I don't, I don't appreciate that. Yeah. Um, what was another experience? Oh man. At one school, it was weird. One school, you know, I wrote about my sexual abuse. One school asked what I would do if I had a sexual offender as a patient. I was pretty uncomfortable. I started crying. <laughs> um
0: do you do you know if they it was an open interview, like they had access to your essays?
1: No, they definitely had access. Ugh. Um they definitely had access. I didn't see any issue wrong. Everyone who I told had a huge issue with it. Yeah. Um, which I think is the importance of having a diverse group of people you're, yeah. um, you know, because I just felt like.
0: Was it a male well, or female my, interviewer that asked you that? It's
1: a white male. Yeah. I felt like he had a good heart, but when I told people, they were actually very annoyed why he would ask that because like, that's so triggering. Yeah. But I was just like, well, you know, everyone told me not to put in my application because of like reasons like this. So I feel like I was definitely blaming myself, but like, I shouldn't blame myself for that. And I, I don't really know why he asked that question or if it was even appropriate. But again, like as a medical school applicant, you can feel really disempowered. And so I just kind of kept going. Yeah. So I, I didn't have a good interview experience, everyone, as you can tell. Like <laughs> um, like most of my interviews just weren't what I thought they were going to be, especially because I've had other black friends who have matriculated into medical school and they've had the time of their life, which is amazing. I hope you all students from all backgrounds have the time of their life. But I personally just it was, it was just bad.
0: Yeah. So it's it sounds like from what you're talking about, it sounds like just a lot of ignorance, and not necessarily like malintent, but just a lot of ignorance around these discussions. Would would you agree with that?
1: Yeah i i, I didn't I didn't think anyone had like a bad heart or bad intentions, but it's still just as damaging, and yeah. so I think it. I think. I think we need to still prioritize these type of events and scenarios.
0: Yeah, definitely. So ultimately you were successful at getting into medical school. What What do you think after going on your interview trail, doing a post-bac to improve your grades and, and everything else, what do you think at the end of the day, what was it about the medical school that that selected you and, and, uh, is is ultimately um, giving you a full ride to medical school what What do you think it was about you that they wanted?
1: Hmm. Um, okay, so I was specifically not recruited, but I got into this research program um where you get to take a year off and then I can get a free master's and and they are trying to train the next physician scientist and so I think that you know, again, I think that, you know, I'm a a different type of applicant. Here's someone who is equally as invested in social justice work as she is in the progression of science and how that goes hand in hand. And, um, I think there's other people who have that type of application too, but I think we're a very small minority. And, um, I think that the faculty that I met and the faculty that I talked to respected who I was. So when I talked about, you know, complex family issues, when I talked about sexual abuse, when I talked about racism, they were very eager to hear my experience and really listen and really not create this blame mentality where I should blame myself for these encounters. But they actually understood that it's not my fault that these encounters are happening. And they really I think understood the root causes of what said issues are or why they're occurring and so I think that um like my program director he's a white male and the before I chose my medical school we were talking about um black lives and black medical students and you know that's unheard of for me with another white male and, was talking about, I was telling him how I didn't appreciate how people were telling me I need to go into primary care when I'm actually interested in in surgery. And he was like, yeah, that is not okay. I actually, um, I actually, you know, I, I had heard that type of dialogue early on in my career. And so now I'm more cognizant of my commentary to, you know, underrepresented minority students. And so for you to actually educate yourself and to feel like that's valuable, I feel like that's why um, they chose me and I chose them. And hopefully it'll it'll be a good partnership. Um, And hopefully that they'll continue to respect my voice and my contributions as I navigate medical school.
0: Yeah. All all I can hope is that uh, through conversations like this, and and thank you for being open with with myself and with the the audience, uh, but through conversations like this, through an unfortunate events like George Floyd and every other African-American person who has died at the hands of uh, the the people who are supposed to be protecting us, um, that we hopefully get to a better place faster because of that. Um, I, I know, right, if, if we want to try to Give an analogy, which it probably isn't the best analogy, but just an analogy, right? It, in this country, we've we had a very long time for women to to be accepted into the workforce, right? To get to a place where women could be equal to men, and now we we need to fast forward and and get minorities equal to to everyone else, uh, to, to the majority, to the white, uh, people in this country. So all I can do is hope that that these conversations, uh, help speed that along, uh, as painful as they may be.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for this conversation, this dialogue, and, you know, congrats to all the students who are just moving along, those who are stuck in MCAP purgatory who are going to go on (laughs) virtual interviews you can definitely do it and i'm really happy when you make it on the other side
0: yeah so let's let's give a final word of wisdom for the minority student listening to this maybe being held back by their own family uh held back by their communities what words of wisdom do you have for them to keep pushing forward
1: there's students out there who have gone through similar things but as you Um, who understand what you're going through and even though you feel alone just know that that we're out here that we're cheering you on and that we've we're going to be connected one day but we might not be right now and hopefully that this podcast is one more reminder out there that you can do it that I believe in you I believe in your contributions I think that this type of contribution is the most critical contribution to medical education and establishment of medicine right now um with everything going on with covid and police brutality if we cannot get this race issue drastically improved we all suffer and so just know that you're the type of applicant that we need in medicine more than ever
0: all right there you have it again a Very, very, very raw and vulnerable conversation from Alexis. I I thanked her profusely for being vulnerable and sharing her journey. Now, obviously, Alexis can't speak and doesn't speak for every person of color out there, but these are her thoughts, her emotions, and her uh, insight into what is going on in this country. If there's something that you think we can do here on this podcast to continue to spread awareness, let me know. On National Pre-Med Day, I spoke to three black physicians from Tour for Diversity, and this conversation came up, right? That was Thursday, uh, May 28th, after the killing of George Floyd on May 25th, and so that was still very new and raw, and it was a good conversation. You can find the replays of National pre Day and that discussion on the Mapped YouTube page, which is at MAPT, M-A-P-P-D dot TV. I hope whether you're a minority or a majority student out there, whatever your background is, that you are taking the time to ask the questions, both of yourself and of the community around you and how you can continue to help support everyone else through these times. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Prima Years.